You're listening to Radio Looks Loose, and I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 72. The title of this episode is The Salvation Army, Woke and Broke. All right, well, here we are on uh, Saturday. It's uh, December the 18th, hard to believe. It's one week until Christmas, so it's coming up pretty quickly here. Maybe just uh, I've been talking about our, our neighbor's light display here the last few weeks, and it is kind of interesting. I, I got up the other day to go to work, and it's early in the morning, and I look out, and there's all this bright light uh, coming from the front yard, and I looked over, and they had the the light display was was up and running, and I thought, well, that's that's really weird because they usually shut that thing down at night, of course. And I always wonder how much uh, how much juice, how much electricity it takes to run that thing. I, I don't know how expensive it is, but generally they don't keep it on all night. In fact, they never do, and so it was kind of unusual to see it on at uh, at six o'clock in the morning. And I thought, well, maybe they forgot, but it, it seemed. Kind of odd to me that they would forget to to turn them off just because they are so bright. Well, when I was going to work, as I was going going down the street, uh, coming the other way, there was a, a news van from one of the local TV stations, and and what I, I suspect they probably had a, a uh, an appointment scheduled for when this news crew was supposed to show up and film their house. So that would that would be my guess why they had the uh, had the lights blazing away at uh, at six in the morning. <laughs> anyway. Uh, you know, I had a pretty good week this week. I, I hope you did as well. Um, this was my week for getting stuff done. Um, I got more stuff done this week, I don't know, than I've gotten done in a long time. Um, had these nagging issues. You know, you know how that is. You get this these nagging stuff, this stuff you know you got to get done, uh, fixing something, cleaning something up, this kind of thing. But, you know, for one reason or another, you you just don't get around to it. And you keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Well, that's kind of what I did. And uh, I, I actually, though, today I had quite a bit of stuff that I was able to get taken care of. One of the things, I got my car fixed. I was having problems with my uh, the passenger side uh, headlight was out. And it's been having trouble the last couple months. I keep thinking I get it fixed and it, it doesn't stay fixed. And it, it turned out that the the uh, there's this connector that goes into the headlight bulb. And that had melted for some reason. I think maybe there had been a bad connection or something and it it, it melted this thing. And anyway, I had to, I've had to get that thing and get that replaced, which I was able to do. But on top of that, it was even better than I finally got my headlight lenses buffed out. Um, you know how you have these cars. Mine's an older car, and and the um, the plastic, the, the the headlight lens covers. You know they they begin to cloud up, and mine had gotten not as bad as as some cars I've seen, but they were definitely clouded up. And and I got this as uh, a turtle wax kit to you can buff your lights out and all that. It did a really nice job. Those things look uh, brand new. That made a big difference too. So I can actually see when I drive. I guess that's kind of a nice thing for my neighbors to know too. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah that. Uh, uh, that uh, that made a big difference. So that was some stuff I got done, and, and I got some cleaning done this week too. It's pretty pretty amazing. It's like a lot of stuff that I wanted to get done for a while. I finally got it done. That, that's a nice feeling, you know. You you kind of just you, you get it done, and you you step back, and you're like, yeah, yeah, that looks pretty nice. I'm really glad I did that. So so yeah, I, I had uh, had a good week of of getting stuff done uh, this week, and uh, I hope you did as well. I know it's uh, kind of a busy time of year with with Christmas and all that coming up, and there's there's all kinds of stuff going on. I know our, our church last week, we did a, uh, a cantata, a Christmas cantata, and I sing in the choir. I sing bass in the choir. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of work getting that together, but it, it went well, and uh, that was, uh, I enjoyed uh, enjoyed doing that. All right, so I uh, wanted to, to kind of get into today's topic here a little bit, and the uh, thing I wanted to talk about is just kind of going back to the title, The Salvation Army Woke and Broke. Now, you know, like 
you know, I mean, a lot of people look, I, I like, I like my Christmas traditions. I do. And, you know, the Salvation Army, I, I think a lot of people think the Salvation Army is something very traditional Christmas, right? I mean, you've got the, the bell ringers, you know, and they're, a lot of times they're at the, uh, the local grocery store, local Kroger store. And, you know, they'd be out there and they ring the bell and they've got their kettle and, and these kinds of things. And, and, you know, I've, I've never really known a lot about the Salvation Army, um, you know, doctrinally or or what have you, but you know, they they seem like sincere people, and yeah, I mean, I've donated to them in the past. You know, drop a, drop a few bucks in a kettle or something like that. I've done that. Probably a lot of you have. Um, that's that's a pretty common thing. But you know, what I found out here is after what what I've learned here over just the last week, I, I'm not going to be giving to them. I haven't given to them this year, and I, I don't intend to give to them, and I, I don't intend to give to them in the future. I mean, unless something, unless there's some real repentance and some real change, that's that's simply not going to be on my list of uh, of organizations to to which I donate uh, anymore. And I'm going to going to get into that a little bit here today and explain why that is. Uh, because it turns out that that the that venerable organization it was founded back in the I think the 1880s in uh, in England, but surprisingly or not, that venerable organization um, has, like so many organizations, gone woke, and uh, now appears that they're they're going broke, or if not technically broke, I don't think they're going to up and disappear next week or anything like that. But they're definitely having a uh, trouble with their donations. Uh, I was reading one article. They said that I think they get 75% of their donations in the month of November and December, months of November, December. So, you know, that, that closing couple months of the year, the, you know, basically the Christmas season. And they're not doing so well this year. You know, there is a, uh, an article here. And let me, let me go ahead and share, do a screen share here. Just a moment. Let's. Okay, yeah, here we go. Um, screen share. This is from uh, Fox News Channel 13 in Seattle. And the, the headline there, it says, The situation is dire. Salvation Army facing toy donation shortage ahead of holidays. And when you read through the the article here a little bit, it, it gives some explanation here. It says, uh, for instance, I believe this is quoting uh, Colonel Cindy, Cindy Foley, the Northwest Salvation Army uh, of the Northwest Salvation Army Division. So she says here, there are many reasons why both financial and toy donations are down this year, not the least of which is likely pandemic fatigue and concerns about employment and the future. We're actually trying to provide food, shelter, toys, and clothing to double the number of families we served last Christmas. And in the midst of the growing need, we are seeing fewer people donating at our virtual and physical kettles. Then it continues, not only is the nonprofit organization short of donations, they are also in desperate need of bell ringers to staff the red kettle scene of businesses around the country. And uh, the Colonel Cindy Foley continues, quote, the, the situation is dire and we're asking our generous supporters in the region to donate to the virtual Northwest Red Kettle, as well as make donations at every physical kettle in whatever way you can, end quote, said Foley. Okay, so, you know, what we read here in this article, it talks about, you know, the, the explanation that's given by this person from the Salvation Army is that the, the reason the donations are down is, is because of uh, a pandemic fatigue, is what she says, and concerns about employment in the future. And those things may be true. There may be, be something to that, although I have a hard time seeing how pandemic fatigue would have anything to do with it. If anything, pandemic fatigue makes me want to just go out and do something. <laughs> 
So I, I, I don't know. But I mean, I could certainly see employment. I mean, the, the economy is not doing particularly well. And, and so, I mean, I, I think that that can certainly be at least a partial explanation. But I'm not sure if that's the whole picture. Now, granted, some of this is speculative, but you know, there's there's another reason their donations may be down. Of course, I hinted at it in the the title of this particular podcast, and that is the Salvation Army's. Uh, they've gone woke, you know. And there's that old saying, you know, "Get woke, go broke." And uh, well, I don't know if that's always true or not, but I, I think maybe in some cases that that can be true. So let's take a look at at the uh, at that idea here. The Salvation Army recently, in fact, I'll bring this up here. Um, this is from the Salvation Army website. It's got a, a headline that says, The Salvation Army's Response to False Claims on the Topic of Racism. And this dates from November 25th, 2021. So it's you know, a few weeks ago, I guess three, three to four weeks ago. And I'll just read through a part of this here. And it says, Update. Elements of the recently issued Let's Talk About Racism guide led some to believe we think they should apologize for the color of their skin, or that the Salvation Army may have abandoned its biblical beliefs for another philosophy or ideology. That was never our intention. So the guide has been removed for appropriate review. And there's some explanation that goes on here and talks about talks about this particular issue. Well, the the guide they're talking about, let's talk about racism, as the paragraph there on the Salvation Army website mentions, they've removed it. So I can't actually access it and, and find out exactly what it says word word for word. But I did find an article, and this is an opinion piece from the Wall Street Journal, that does tell us, at least in part, what this particular guide, let's talk about racism, had to say. And this is an opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal. It's called, let's see, Wokeness Infiltrates the Salvation Army. It backs away from a call on members to lament, repent, and apologize for racism. And this particular piece is by uh, Kenny Shu, And he says this, Although the Salvation Army was founded in London in 1865, it's in America that its red kettles have become a Christmas staple. The Salvationists have earned broad respect in American society after more than a century of charitable giving, but an internal coalition of woke ideologues now endangers the organization's reputation. And he continues, This year, the Salvation Army's International Social Justice Commission published a discussion guide called Let's Talk About Racism. The document, its authors say, it was designed to stimulate gracious discussion among Salvationists who choose to participate. But its radical woke overtones against American Christians seem to make such gracious discussion impossible. And then he quotes uh, some additional uh, items from the, uh, from the guide. So let's read through that. This is a quoting from the Let's Talk About Racism guide. Quote, why is it so difficult to acknowledge the sin of racism and the seeking of God's forgiveness both individually as believers and corporately as the church for our complicity in racism? The document suggests as a conversation starter. Well, that just sounds, that sounds like a great way to start a conversation. I'd love talk. I, I'd love that conversation, wouldn't you? Uh, it's also called on uh, salvationists to, quote, stop trying to be colorblind and to lament, repent, and apologize for the biases against people of color in America. Much of the time is, ex is spent explaining why the U.S. is racist. We must stop denying the existence of individual and systematic institutional racism, the materials say. They exist and are still at work to keep white Americans in power, end quote. So, you know, th th this is a kind of a hint. I mean, I, and I think just reading through this, I mean, it's not the full pamphlet, but I, I think you kind of, you, it's, it's pretty easy to kind of get the drift of the, the particular Salvation Army publication, Let's Talk About Racism. It's just critical race theory sprinkled with a little Bible dust.
I mean, that's what this stuff comes down to. Um, you know, there's a, uh, it's interesting, there's a, a, a Twitter feed that I just became aware of uh, within the last week or two. It's called Woke Preacher Clips. And the, uh, the whole thrust of that particular Twitter feed is it, it's quotes and sometimes videos and things of uh, some of these, these woke preachers, and most of them are, um, you know, Protestants, evangelicals of one sort or another. And there is a lot of wokeness in the, uh, in the evangelical church, in the Protestant church, in churches that used to be considered you know, fairly sound um, and, and, and conservative. This, this Marxist-inspired philosophy has really wormed its way in uh, very deeply. It's, it's kind of amazing. And here it is in the Salvation Army. And I love these these kinds of uh, materials, for, you know, the, like the the "Let's Talk About Racism" pamphlet, and and how it's designed to stimulate gracious discussion among Salvationists. Well, one thing that that I have noticed consistently with anything critical race theory related is that there's no discussion. What it is, it's it's a beat down lecture, and it's it's a one way monologue. It's basically somebody sit, sitting up on their their moral high horse, and then lecturing you on what a horrible person you are. Yeah, you know, and this is particularly directed at white people, and and you're you know you're told that you're a, a horrible person that you need to feel guilty and ashamed and and uh, and this sort of thing, and and you know you're an eternal oppressor, and and such like, and victimizer against persons of color, pox, pocs, sometimes they call them, or even bipox, uh, which I think stands for Black Indian People of Color, bipoc. Um, you know, and, and they are the oppressed, the victimized, the righteous and the holy and the just, and everything they do is awesome. And everything, and if you're a white person, everything you do is, is sinful and terrible and awful and horrible. And, and, and of course, all of this is, is a false gospel. And we'll come in and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But one thing that, that I have noticed about critical race theory is that nothing, and I mean nothing, is, is a, there's nothing gracious about it, and there's nothing discussion about it. I mean, there's no no uh, give and take here. It's it's uh, you know they do all the the giving and and you do all the taking. It's it's really amazing stuff uh, to watch some of this. So I mean, here we just have the um, the sort of uh, you know leftist, progressive, Marxist, whatever you want to call it, rant um, basically put into. Uh, a format for you know, into Christian formats, the Christian version of of critical race theory, and and this kind of brings me to a, another point. I, I didn't want to get too far afield in this, but the thing that just annoys the living daylights out of me about uh, the current the state of the Protestant Church anymore is that we don't know how to do our own thinking. You know, all the the leading Protestant intellectuals do is they just go out and they borrow this garbage from the world. You know this this empty deceit, this worldly philosophy, and they you know they they dress it up in a uh, you know they sprinkle it with some magic Bible dust or something like this, and then you know dish it out to congregations as though somehow it's original uh, and biblical, and it's neither. I mean, it's derivative and it's it's unchristian. Yeah, and this is true whether you're getting into things like critical race theory, whether you're getting into feminism, whether you're getting into immigration. I mean, immigration is another one that drives me nuts. You know, there are there is very little sound Christian commentary on the uh, the issue of immigration, and what little commentary is done by by Protestant churches, it's almost all borrowed from the Roman Catholics, more from the liberals, but more from the Roman Catholics than anything else. 
I mean, as, as Protestants, I mean, we need to learn how to think for ourselves. We need to learn how to think biblically as Christians. You know, instead of borrowing all this, this garbage from the world, from people who don't even know what they're talking about. You know, and, and this is another example of that, this whole thing with the Salvation Army and their critical race theory pamphlet. One of the things that's interesting, though, in this, this particular article, and I think it was is really this, uh, this opinion piece in the, in, the, in the Wall Street Journal, this got a lot of attention. There has, there's been a lot of discussion. I think this drove some discussion, and even before that, there's, there's been a lot of discussion about this particular pamphlet from the Salvation Army. So people tend to people focused on this, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Well, I did a little bit of digging, and what I found is that there's actually and you you might not be surprised by this. It's kind of like the theory, you know, like you you don't have just one cockroach, right? You know, if you see a cockroach, you can be sure there's a whole bunch of others hidden away someplace. You know, and when you see something like this, this critical race theory pamphlet put out. It's reasonable to assume there's a whole lot of other theological cockroaches in the Salvation Army hiding out somewhere. And it's just a matter of doing a little bit of digging, and, and you're probably going to find them. Well, I found out that I, I did a little bit of digging, and what did I do? I, I found out. There certainly is uh, actually quite a bit of uh, in the way of cockroaches. What I did is I found this one particular page, and this is on the Salvation Army website, and, and you can see this on the, the live stream here. International Social Justice Commission, and it's a uh, it's an entire web page, and apparently this is where they had posted that particular uh, pamphlet. Let's talk about racism. You can even see a, a copy, kind of like the cover of it up here on the page, although it's been removed. And it says, consistent with the Scripture Foundations, the Salvation Army stands against racism in all forms. Uh, elements of the recently issued Let's Talk About Racism guide led to some believe we think they should apologize for the color of their skin, blah, blah, blah. And it says that was never our intention, so the guide has been removed for appropriate review. So apparently this is where you would go to find that particular pamphlet. And I, I wish I had gone there earlier because I'd love to have a copy of the thing to, to, read, to my, read for myself. Uh, although that uh, that Wall Street Journal editorial by Kenny Shu did quote some uh, probably the most uh, relevant portions of it, but what you find out here, as I said, they they it wasn't just a single pamphlet. You know, it wasn't just let's talk about racism. They have a whole page dedicated to international social justice called the International Social Justice Commission. Well, I mean, social justice is a term no Christian should ever use. Uh, social justice is not justice. It's a term that originated uh, apparently with the Jesuits in the 19th century. I've heard Chris Pinto talk about that on his uh, on his podcast, his Noise of Thunder radio podcast. In fact, I found out that he's got a uh, a whole uh, lecture series on the Jesuits and, and social justice. I went ahead and I actually ordered those. I haven't had a chance to listen to them yet. They haven't come, but I'd like to because you know, this this whole concept of social justice is something you hear talked about all the time. And I've even heard uh, ministers who are you know, I, I think for the most part, fairly sound in their theology, talk, uh, use the term social justice. And I, I'm not sure they really know the origins of social justice or what it means. Uh, I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe they do know and they, you know, they're, they're maybe not as sound as I think they are. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm not going to render those kinds of judgments. But I have heard people talk that. And this is not a, a, a term, social justice. It should ever be on the lips of any uh, Christian preacher. 
if unless he's there to criticize it, of course. But it's certainly not something that any any Christian uh, minister or any elder, any deacon, any ordinary church member should be uh, talking about in a positive way. Uh, but uh, the Salvation Army has an international social justice commission, and uh, something else that I found out too is the uh, Salvation Army. This is on the same page, the International Social Justice Commission page. The Salvation Army uh, talks about it's openly about its affiliation with the United Nations. Well, I didn't know that. I didn't know that until yesterday when I, as I, when I was doing a little bit of digging around on, on the website. It says here the Salvation Army has been an affiliated non-governmental organization with the United Nations, uh, UN, since the UN's formation. So that goes back, what, I think 1948, 47, 48, something like that, uh, right after the end of World War II. Uh, as one of the founding NGOs, that's a non-governmental organization. The Salvation Army holds consultative status at the UN and may formally contribute to its work in conjunction with other non-governmental, non-profit, public or voluntary organizations and faith-based organizations with similar status. Well, you know, that right there raises huge red flags. I mean, the United Nations is not a Christian organization. Uh, it's a globalist organization, and a great deal of what it proposes is is globalist, socialist uh, in nature, and certainly ungodly. I mean, this this whole thing, you know, just the whole pandemic and all this, this nonsense that's come out of the WHO, uh, the World Health Organization. I mean, they have been some of the primary pushers of this bogus pandemic that we have. And that, that's just one example. You can, go, you, you can find many more and you can think of many more. You know, the whole climate change agenda, for example, is being pushed by the UN. You know, and its attempt to impose uh, socialism uh, on the world and, and create world government. And it's one of the biggest vehicles for, for Antichrist. You know, the Antichrist, Vatican, uh, the Pope, is, is, con is uh, majorly involved in the work of the United Nations. No Christian should be associated with this. And, and frankly, I mean, when you see the Salvation Army affiliated with the UN, and they say since the founding of the UN, so, I mean, we're going back, you know, about 75 years, pretty close to it. That's a real problem. That's, that is a major problem. You know, and again, these are things that I didn't know this, and I, I doubt probably most people know this. Uh, this is all very new to me. Uh, I've had my, uh, my eyes opened uh, here about the, uh, about the Salvation Army. Let's take a look here. I wanted, you know, we, we talked some about the, the pamphlet that they did pull down. But there's a bunch of other stuff up here on this uh, this uh, international social justice website that's worth looking at. Like, let's take this. Here's a it's, here's a study guide on racism, and it's uh, written apparently by this Colonel Richard Munn, director of International Social Justice Commission. And when you read through this, it uh, it's the typical kind of thing that you would get from some sort of uh, critical race theory spouting uh, lefty progressive Marxist type person. And one of the things that really jumped out at me when I was, was reading through this, let's see here, is, is their definition of, of racism. And, and this is critical. Let's see if, uh, see if I can find that here. Let's do a little quick word search. Okay, here, here we go. So they define racism as the problem of racism is pervasive and complex. It is described as prejudice plus power. Now, defining racism as prejudice plus power, that is right straight out of the critical race theory playbook. 
And the way they, in, in, this is a very important concept. It's a very important definition because it's from this definition then that they're able to make all kinds of really outrageous types of statements. That, that sounds innocent enough, but it's, it's very dangerous because here, here's how they reason. They say that racism is prejudice plus power. What they, what they go on to say is that minorities, for instance, black people, etc., have no power. And since racism is prejudice plus power, if you have no power, you can't be racist. But what they then say is they is they say, well, white people are prejudiced, uh, but they also have power, and so it's white people only who are racist. And this is how they get from this idea that somehow, if if you're a white person, that you are always and ever a victimizer, and if you're a person of color, that you're eternally the, the victim because you have no power. Now, that definition is not the standard definition of, uh, of racism. I went back and I, actually, I have a, a dictionary that I use uh, all the time as a reference book. It's uh, the Webster's Seventh Collegiate Dictionary, published in 1965. I actually bought a copy of this uh, used online, and I bought it for that specific reason, because it is an older dictionary, because it, it predates all of the the, the, the woke, wokester nonsense that started coming in the late 60s. And it's, it's just, it's good standard English. And let me read you the definition of racism. This is from the 1965 Webster Seventh Collegiate Dictionary. It says this, quote, Racism is a belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Now, notice in that definition, there's no mention of power. The only thing present there is the idea of prejudice. So it's the belief that race is the primary determinant of human traits and capacities and that racial differences produce an inherently super inherent superiority of a particular race. So, Based on that definition, anyone, and that, that can be regardless of what one's race is, anyone can be racist. Anyone can say, you know, a white person can say, oh, you know, I think that, that uh, I'm superior because I'm a white person. You know, but a, a black person could turn around and say, well, I think I'm superior because I'm a black person. Or someone who's Asian could come and say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm superior because, because I'm Chinese. Something like that. So that definition can apply equally to anybody. Because it doesn't talk about power. It just simply talks about one's particular attitude toward one's own race vis-a-vis -vis, uh, another race. And, and that kind of prejudice can exist within anyone. You know, there was that uh, an example here of, uh, of anti-white racism right here in the United States. And it was, it was very, a uh, very obvious example of this. And uh, this is the example of, of Daryl Brooks. Darrell Brooks, you may recall, he was the guy in uh, in Waukesha, Wisconsin, who he he took an SUV and he ran over uh, people in a Christmas parade. He killed six people. He injured, I think, uh, several dozen of them. And this guy had all kinds of really racist stuff that he had written on various social media outlets. And here's a headline. This is from the New York Post. It says, Darrell Brooks shared pro-Hitler memes called for violence against white people. And it says, the ex-con charged over the deaths of six people at a Wisconsin Christmas parade shared social media posts calling for violence against white people and suggesting Hitler was right for killing Jews. Darrell Brooks Jr., 
who has a decades-long rap sheet, shared a series of disturbing memes and messages on social media, most of which have been deleted since his arrest for Sunday's deadly carnage. They included numerous posts attacking cops, comparing them to the Ku Klux Klan members, and calling them violent street gangs, as well as calling for violence toward white people, according to screenshots. Learn not taught behavior, he wrote on June 9th last year, amid the violent upheaval over George Floyd's murder and by a Minnesota cop, according to a screenshot shared by the Daily Mail. So when we start back knocking white people out, I want to, I guess, well, I don't want to hear it. The old white people too knock them out, period, he wrote under his rap name. You know, and, and he kind of goes on a rant like this, but I, I think you kind of get the uh, get the flavor of, uh, of what he said. And I, I cleaned up his quote there a little bit as well. But yeah, I mean, he, this was a guy that, that hated white people. I mean, he, he, had ma- he was massively prejudiced against white people. But what the critical race theory people would say, well, he didn't have any power, so therefore he wasn't racist. Well, I say that's bunk. You know, and, and I think they're trying to, to combine two ideas. They're trying to combine an idea of, uh, of race and they're trying to – and then add to it the idea of uh, maybe class or, or political power. Well, the, those two, you know, they're, they're really mixing two things that, that don't go together. Uh, anyone can be racist. Anyone can be. It doesn't matter what your background is. You know, that definition of prejudice plus power, that is at the very core of critical race theory. At the very core of it. it, it's right at the core. I remember, and this is years back, this was a, a late 80s, early 90s, um, there was stuff like that that was being pushed at the University of Cincinnati when I was a student there. I remember that caused quite a stir, and they, were, they, they actually literally said that black people can't be racist. Now, that was the first time I had ever heard that, and that was right at the dawn of when critical race theory came out. They had this big get-together in the summer of 1988, which really is is considered the, I can't remember there was a conference someplace here in the United States I can't remember offhand what it was but that particular conference in the summer of 1988 is generally thought of as sort of the birthplace of critical race theory and that was one of the ideas that came out of of this particular symposium that they had or maybe it didn't come out of it but it, it was certainly I, I, maybe it was formalized there, perhaps, but it was from that point on that you began hearing arguments like this that that blacks cannot be racist, you know, because because racism is prejudice plus power. And so, what's the Salvation Army do doing? Well, they're taking this this idea that comes from these sort of neo Marxist type people, and they're importing it into a, a putatively Christian organization. Now, that's the exact kind of thing we're not supposed to do as Christians. You know, we're supposed to rebuke the world through the word of God. You know, what did Paul say? You know, beware lest anyone take you, cheat you through uh, philosophy and empty deceit. Well, I mean, these people are allowing themselves to be cheated by a worldly philosophy because you can't square the idea that racism is prejudice plus power. You can't get that out of, out of the scriptures at all. You can't get that out of the Bible, but so they're, they're importing this idea in from these these ungodly Marxists, or at least people that have Marxist leanings. Certainly, uh, progressives, uh, leftists of, of various sorts, uh, and they're importing this into the church, and then trying to palm it off on on Christians as though somehow this is a biblical idea, which it most certainly is not. So that's their their. Uh, pamphlet on uh, on uh, racism. 
And they've got another pamphlet up. And this one, this is one that's on, on sexism. And it's very similar to the guide on racism. In fact, it's kind of interesting that their definition of sexism is, is basically identical to their definition of racism. It says sexism often includes a combination of prejudice plus power. It's expressed through systemic structured prejudice and cultural discrimination can be present in a family, in a family communities of faith, in societal and uh, national cultures. And again, this go, it goes on. I'm not going to read through all of it. But when you, you look at this particular guide to, to, to you know, sexism, this is, the, this is the standard kind of fare that you could get out of any kind of women's studies department at the most liberal universities out there. Or you know you you could listen to some some uh, rant on on MSNBC or CNN or or maybe go you know buy a book by you know some some feminist author and this is the exact kind of thing that you would see in there. I mean there, there's nothing here intellectually that's original or Christian, and and frankly it's really embarrassing to me that or it should be embarrassing to the Salvation Army that they would put garbage like this out. And try to palm it off on people as, as though it's Christian, when it most certainly is not. Now, it's kind of interesting when you you scroll through this. And let's see how, you know, the, the problem is all men. You know, because sexism is is prejudice plus power is, is the way they, they try to define this. And I guess men have all the power and women have no power. So only men can be sexist and, and women are not. In fact, it's kind of interesting when you combine the first pamphlet that we looked at, the one on racism, with the one on sexism here. Racism says that white people are bad and uh, people of color are awesome. And the one on sexism says that men are bad and, and women are awesome. And so, you know, who's, who's the, uh, who gets left out in this whole thing? Of course, it's, it's white men. And of course, white men was, uh, were constantly told by every university is, are, are toxic and terrible and, and all around very, very bad people. And and you again you you can go to any any liberal university you can go watch any uh, particular uh, program on on your average news network and you get exactly the same message. There is nothing here that is unique uh, that is that is original with original with Christian that's original with any kind of Christian scholarship or anything that's actually biblical. And it's super frustrating to to read through this stuff. Now, one of the things that's interesting, and again, I'm I'm skipping over a lot of stuff here. They actually do quote scripture, and they they bring forward a a lot of scripture here that that is designed to show that that women and men pretty much do all the same things, and there really isn't a whole lot of distinction. They they do at one point claim that men are are head of the household, so I guess they they get that part of it right. But when you look through all of these these uh, scripture quotations and, and all of these are are fine i mean they're it, it's the word of god but it's not what they say it's what they don't say that's important there's you know they they don't quote the passage from first timothy where paul says you know i forbid a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man interestingly enough that passage is not cited in this particular pamphlet it says nothing in the passage from i think it's what's first corinthians 14 where paul says let the woman remain silent in the churches it was shameful for a woman to speak in church. It doesn't say that that is not anywhere noted in here. There's nothing in here that talks at all about the requirements, uh, Paul's very clear requirements for uh, deacons and elders. He talks about what that's in, uh, in 1 Timothy, I think, and in, in Titus. 
It talks about, you know, that an elder is to be the husband of one wife, a deacon is to be the husband of one wife, this type of thing. And it it very clearly notes that church officers, that that the roles of elder and deacon are reserved for men. And, And they don't talk about that in here at all. Um, in other words, this is just basically a standard feminist pamphlet with a little magic Bible dust on it. You know, and again, you know, this is the kind of thing that passes for Christian scholarship. And, and not only is it, it just bad scholarship, but it's, it's not only is it unbiblical, but it's frustrating to me to think that here we are 500 years after the Reformation, and, and this is the best that we can do. Or at least this is what our our leading main organizations uh, in the Reformation are are doing. This is the kind of work they're doing. Eh, good grief! I'm going to get a little bit off topic here, but there's something I wanted to see if I can find this here real quick. Oh, bear with me just a moment here. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to log into that. There was a uh, a tweet that was out there by this guy. He was this. Uh, you may have seen this thing in the news, but he uh, he was a uh, apparently a minister, a Lutheran minister at some Lutheran church in Chicago. He was dressed up as a, as a drag queen reading, I don't know, Bible stories or some kind of stories to kids in the church. And then there was this quote. Um, it, it, was a, it was a tweet that was put out. It, it, it had a, a, a photo of, uh, I guess, a Facebook rant that he won. He was talking about how awesome, how awesome the, uh, he was as a, as a gay person. And he, he said he was like queerfully and wonderfully made or something like that. I mean, just really blasphemous stuff like this. This was some Lutheran. And, you know, and I, only, I, just, I thought to myself, you know, we need a new Reformation. I mean, we really do. Because the old one has pretty well run out of steam. Uh, not because the ideas and the, re- and the, uh, the original one were bad, but because the people who are the heirs of the Reformation, so many of them, are not regenerate Christians. I mean, they they just regurgitate the absolute worst philosophies of the world. So, I mean, once again, you know, we have an example of instead of Christianity turning the world upside down, we have the world turning Christianity upside down. You know, you think about there's that chapter uh, in uh, in the Book of Acts where the uh, I guess the 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 silversmiths in Ephesus got together and they said, you know, they were complaining about the fact that these men, you know, the apostles and what have you, and what have you, you know, that, that with their teaching, they turned the world upside down. You know, the people were abandoning the temple of Diana and, and this sort of thing. And they were all uh, flocking to the, to the churches to, to become Christians and, and to hear, hear the doctrine of Christ. And this was turning the world upside down. They were outraged by this, you know, and they, they went and they had this great big riot, you know, great as Diana of the Ephesians, you know, they, they shouted and carried on and, and all of this sort of thing. It's recorded, I don't know what, I can't remember right now what chapter that's in, but it's, it's in the book of Acts. But the, the thing that was really stands out about what went on there was the fact they said, you know, that these men talking about the Christians were turning the world upside down. People were abandoning the temples. People were saying, you know, people were seeing the folly of, of the pagan uh, religious system, and they were, they were coming to Christ. Because these the you know the apostles and the the preachers and the teachers of that they they were teaching a powerful message, the justification by belief alone, and and not just it wasn't just the gospel that they were teaching they were teaching the whole counsel of God. Remember what Paul said to the Ephesian elders when he was leaving Ephesus for the last time. He says, "I've not failed to declare to you the whole counsel of God." You know, I mean the the fundamentalists of a hundred plus years ago they got a lot of things right. 
Yeah, but as Christians, we're not really called to be fundamentalists. We're called, yeah, we're called to believe the fundamentals, you know, the virgin birth, etc. Uh, we certainly are called to believe those things, and I do believe those things. You know, I would never argue with the fundamentalist over those things. But it's not that Christianity is less than the fundamentals, it's Christianity is more than the fundamentals. It's the whole counsel of God. And it's one of the things that I've this this particular podcast and, and the, the blog that I have is really dedicated to, it's dedicated to the idea of applying the Word of God throughout all of life. And you think about what John Robbins said about uh, Christianity. He said that you know Christianity has a system, or the Bible, Christianity, same thing, uh, that the Bible you know, has a systematic monopoly on truth. The Bible has a systematic monopoly on truth. And that's true, you know, so so it's not just, you know, so many times I think as Christians we have this idea, you open the Bible on Sunday morning, you learn about God and Jesus and how to be saved, and you do. And you, you do learn about those things. I will never argue with that. That, that is one of the things. Those are things that you learn from the Scriptures. But that's not the only thing you learn from the Scriptures. You know, but we have this idea somehow that, okay, we go to, to the, the Bible to, you know, learn about the Ten Commandments and things of this sort. But if we say we have a question about politics, you know, well, is, is it right for the, the government to, to mandate testing and, and vaccinations for everybody? Is it right for the government to lock the whole country down to prevent the spread of COVID? You know, when we have questions like this, oh, well, what we have to do is we have to go consult the 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 uh, the uh, political uh, science professor at the local university. We have to go consult uh, physicians, and we have to consult uh, politicians and various people who who reason from you know a philosophical basis that maybe has nothing to do with, and in fact is very oftentimes opposed to the basic principles of the Christian faith. Because you can't get that from the Bible, can you? Well, actually, yeah, you can. The the Bible has a systematic monopoly on truth, and it speaks to every area of life, including politics. I mean, the the whole idea of of civil government, which is the what what politics deals with, what the philosophical branch of of politics deals with, is civil government. And so, the question, you know, what kind of government is best? You know, what what should government do? You know, questions of that sort. That's that's not an independent independent discipline. It's really a branch of theology. You know, the Bible has a lots and lots to say about politics. You know, for instance, you know, the, the civil magistrate, you know, what's the job of the civil magistrate? Well, it's to punish those who practice evil and to reward the good. You know, and notice, and I, I credit John Robbins with this, but, you know, he, he pointed out in one of his lectures that when you, you read what Paul says about the job of the civil magistrate, he says those who it's to punish those who practice evil. In other words, there aren't thought crimes in in a uh, in a Christian republic. There aren't thought crimes. I mean, there are thought crimes in in communist dictatorships. There are thought crimes um, in places where the wokesters rule. You know, I guess if you you know you run afoul of the big tech censors, or you run afoul of the uh, the scolds at the university, or maybe the corporate HR department. Yeah, I mean, you know, they they. Can, <laughs> You know they they want to punish you for things that you things that you think maybe uh, things that maybe you have said but you know these are people that that don't by and large have a Christian understanding of of what government whether that's civil government or even you know corporate government or university government um, ought to be doing. 
They, they, they don't have a basic Christian philosophy. And of course, they don't act like Christians, which shouldn't surprise anyone. You know, they act like tyrants. So, I mean, where do, what's the application for all of this? You know, how do we apply um, some of the, the, these ideas? You know, we were talking about you know, how the world is turning Christianity upside down rather than Christianity turning the world upside down. Christian thinkers have really become followers and not leaders. What's the term they use now? Thought leaders? Well, there aren't very many Christian thought leaders. You know, Gordon Clark was a Christian thought leader. John Robbins was a Christian thought leader. Uh, but there aren't too many, aren't too many of those. And, and unfortunately, sadly, uh, most Christian theologians, uh, ministers, what have you, are, are thought followers. And, and they're not followers of, of Christ in their thinking so much as they are followers of, of uh, various uh, worldly thinkers that, again, you know, are, are not Christians and are, in fact, have ide- many ideas that are actually in contradiction to and, and hostile to uh, the Scriptures. So what are some of the points of application we can take here today? Well, I, I think one of the, the important points of application is the importance of not being deceived. You know, we are, all of us, are responsible for God for how we use the money he's given us. And... Um, it's certainly something of a Christian tradition, I think, around Christmas time, you know, to give to the Salvation Army. I've done that before. But as this organization does not have a love of the truth, uh, Christians have an obligation to avoid supporting supporting it because it propagates lies. And in fact, there's a, a, a Trinity review that John Robbins wrote. It's called Biblical Principles of Giving. I think he made a very interesting point here, and I'm going to read that to you. This is John Robbins, quote, doing everything to God's glory implies that giving any sort of support to any organization that teaches false doctrine or fails to teach and defend true doctrine is sin. And he quotes, uh, this is Second uh, John, he says, This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning. You should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, that is the doctrine Christ taught, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Now, I think that that idea, particularly that, that last part where it talks about if anyone, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, uh, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. I think that idea of, of sharing in the evil deeds of someone is not, a uh, not some is something that most Christians don't pay enough attention to, and I think we need to be a lot more careful about that particular idea. Now, I don't know about you, but I have enough sins of my own, and I, I don't need to go around and share in the sins of others. I don't need to do that. And you know, knowing what I know about the Salvation Army, I am not donating a dime to that organization because to do so, I'd be sharing in their sins. I don't want to share in their sins. You know, I, I want to give to organizations that propagate the truth and that refute false doctrine. Those are the organizations that you and I as Christians need to be associated with and need to be giving to. You know, and, and that's that's a way that we can make that we can be good stewards of the money uh, that God has given to us. 
Now, a, a second application uh, is closely related to the first one, and that is it's, it's the importance uh, of knowing secular philosophy so you can recognize it and you're not fooled by it. This is another point that John Robinson made, and, and he made it in one of his lectures, and I don't have the immediate reference handy. But I, the idea is, is, is this, and he, he talks about Colossians 2.8, and Colossians 2.8 reads in part the, thus, quote, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, end quote. Now, what John Robbins said here about this particular passage is that a lot of Christians think from that, where it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, a lot of Christians think that what Paul is saying is, Don't study philosophy. Don't study secular philosophy. But that's not what Paul said. Paul didn't say, don't study secular philosophy. Paul said, don't be cheated by philosophy. Now, not studying philosophy and, being, and not being cheated by philosophy, those are two different things. In fact, and, and again, I'll, I'll give credit to John Robbins here, the, the easiest way to get cheated by philosophy is to not know anything about it. Because if you don't know anything about you know the secular philosophy, the secular ideas that are are out there, you know that we all you know it's kind of the ocean we all swim in, right? You know the the culture that we live in, whether you're living in uh, America in the the early 21st century, or you're living in Great Britain in the 19th century, or you're living in in uh, China 500 years ago, you know whatever culture you live in, I mean, you you tend to pick up the ideas of that culture, and it, it's easy sometimes to be blind to the idea that you're you're imbibing certain philosophical principles. You know, we make a big deal about you know you are what you eat, and and being careful, you know, what you drink or what you eat, so you're not bringing you know taking toxins into your body and things like this. I mean, there's some people that are very uh, very very careful about uh, about their diet. And they're very, very particular about their diet because they, they don't want to be eating things they believe are unhealthy for them. Yet in, in, a, in a much more profound way, we are what we think. And we need to be very careful about the ideas that, that we carry about in our minds. And we need to examine those ideas in light of what the scriptures teach. Now, as I said, the easiest way to get cheated by philosophy is to not know anything about philosophy not know anything about the ideas that are out there. And for instance, you know, when you read through those, uh, those particular uh, pamphlets that are out there on the, on the Salvation Army website where they talk about racism is prejudice plus power. Now, if, if you don't know that that is a, a novel definition of the term racism and that from that definition that the critical race theorists have built up an entire body of false ideas, um, it, it's, it's very easy to just accept, okay, well, racism is prejudice plus power, and so therefore, you know, if, if you accept that definition is true, then all of the reasoning that follows through from that, all of the, 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 the ideas, the, the really truly racist ideas, and in particular anti-white racist ideas that are put forward by the critical race theory crowd, well, they can be pretty persuasive. They can be very persuasive. And so it's, it's important to understand the, the basis for so many of these assertions that are made. You know, whether it's a critical race theory person, whether it's a, an actual Marxist, you know, who's really a, a, a Marxist-type person, uh, believes in, you know, the, the doctrines of Karl Marx, uh, particularly the class warfare uh, that, uh, that Marx talked about. 
the idea of state ownership of uh, of the means of production, etc., labor theory of value. I mean, there there are people out there who believe those things. You know, you need to be able to recognize these ideas when they're put forth, and then you need to also be able to to go to the scriptures and and refute those. Now, there is a uh, we talked some about critical race theory. I've done some studying for this, and I'd like to do some additional additional work on the subject, but I don't have a. Uh, it's kind of a difficult subject. At least it was for me when I first started coming to this. But one of the best resources that I found on critical race theory to kind of get you started is a. It's a, a resolution that was put out by the American Council of Christian Churches in 2019. It's called "The Evil of Critical Race Theory." And it goes through here, and it, it does a very nice job refuting some of the, the assertions of the critical race theorists. And, and it also has a, uh, some very scriptural, very biblical ideas um, that it, uh, it puts in their place. And I, I really recommend it to you, and it's not a long piece at all. I'm not going to read through it here at this point. We're getting a little bit long here this evening. But I just want to mention to you, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put that in the... Uh, in the show notes, uh, so you have that. And I, I, I really recommend that you read through that because I think it's a great document. Uh, that's really about all that I have here for this evening. So thank you very much for listening. I really do appreciate that. And until next time, and Lord willing, we'll uh, speak again next week. But until next time, may the spirit of truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word.